Welcome to Ciao Bella, hosted by me, Erica Firpo, travel journalist based in Rome. Each episode of Ciao Bella, I sit down with Italy's creators, contemporary artists and artisans, designers, culinary experts, heritage brands, and innovative estites, and more who are defining and redefining 21st century Italy. Pull up a chair and join in. Welcome back. Today, I'm with Damien Burgess, a coffee consultant, which just means he's an incredible expert on coffee of all kinds, especially Italian coffee. And he's the founder of Three Coffee Guys. Hey, Damien. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Very well. Enjoying the sunshine and the beautiful weather. I am enjoying that too, which is why I told you right before we started recording that if I'm sneezing, you should feel happy for me because I'm outside and I'm really enjoying all the floral and fauna around me. Ah, uh, great. We'll hear the birds chirping and the tractors going by. Yeah, let's, let's hope. Let's hope the tractor doesn't come. <laughs> I'm so excited to talk to you. When, when I met Damien, just to give everybody background, I met Damien in, uh, right outside of Torino at um, a coffee academy for Cafe Verniano, and I... I, it was kind of happenstance. I, I popped into this coffee event and I didn't, I actually, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting to be so like to, in five minutes to learn so much about the, the fine, the fine tuning of making a cappuccino. I was, I was kind of shocked and I immediately was like, who is this guy? And I would love for you, I, I know who you are, but I'd, I'd love for you to tell everyone why I was so wowed and was like, Damien, please talk to me on my podcast. Okay. Um, well, you said we, we met outside Torino um, and you just say I'm a coffee consultant and coffee expert here in Italy. But of course, you may hear it. I'm not actually Italian. I'm from New Zealand. Um, oh, is that the North- accent? I was wondering what part of Italy it was from. <laughs> <laughs> That's the north, yeah. Um, but you can always tell when the Italians speak English. Um, and obviously, so I'm not Italian. I'm from New Zealand, but I've been living in Italy on and off, but definitely on for the last 20 years. Um, and I've been involved in a lot of different industries, mainly hospitality. So I've, I've worked in ski resorts and beach resorts. I've been a barman, a barista, a waiter, a chef, a bit of everything. Um, but in the last 12 years, I've been involved just in the world of coffee. So I was working for, like you said, the roasting company, Verniano. And I was working for them as their, as their coffee consultant, coffee trainer. Um, and it's the good thing about working for them. I had this opportunity, which I think a lot of, other coffee trainers don't really get the opportunity to do. Um, and the fact that I had an international background, so growing up in New Zealand, so for me, coffee was very much like um, most of the Anglo-Saxon world. So it was uh, filter coffee. I remember mum would always have a grinder at home as well. But then I I'd spent a lot of time in Italy, so I understood very much the Italian side of things. But as I was working for the company, I was traveling quite a lot for them. Uh, we opened up a lot of coffee shops around the world. I was giving support to distributors Wait, in terms of training. Can I interrupt you yeah. for a quick second? So, you know, I know I know that you did a lot of different things and you're super sporty, but what was it about coffee that kind of, that was the magnet that really pulled you in to say, okay, this is it? Um, if you talk to anyone in the coffee industry, they either say they were sort of born into it or it happened by chance. Um, and of course I was the second one. So I was, at the time I was actually working in a ski resort. I had a pub um, at a ski resort called Salsi Dukes. And this pub was more uh, sort of opened in the evening. There was live music. It was a bar dancing. 
But I was also getting to the point in my life where I'd had two daughters, they were very young at the time, and I could no longer be working until five o'clock in the morning and then getting up two hours later to take them to kindergarten. So it was a time I needed to do a bit of a change. Um, and this company was looking for someone who had experience in terms of bar, could speak English, of course, because that was the most important. And at the time, honestly, I didn't know any more about coffee than anyone in the industry would, which is actually very, very little. Um, you wouldn't realize it, but most, people, most baristas don't have a good understanding of coffee itself. So when I started, I knew nothing. Uh, it was all open for me as well. And when I did the first interview with them, um, I didn't even know how to work the express machine I was given. So it was a very <laughs> thrown into a, a situation where I had to learn. But it was interesting. It was a time when a lot of education on coffee was becoming more and more prominent. There was something called the Specialty Coffee Association, which was um, really pushing the education of coffee for consumers, for baristas and for coffee lovers. So I was in the very, in the very first steps of that as it, as it progressed. Tell me, so you, you, were, you were mentioning you were working for Vignano and when did, they, when did it go from, I know you were traveling internationally for them, but when did it go from you know, working with them to really, really building up this coffee academy? And could you tell us a little bit about that? Um, oh, okay. When I started, the whole idea was the Coffee Academy. Um, okay. Be because they needed someone who could do it. And the coffee training, as I said, back then wasn't a thing. Actually, it was, it was quite frustrating. It was frustrating and very nerve-wracking because I was thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, I'm a New Zealander who's going to be teaching Italians about coffee. Yeah. Um, and the That's very first risky. time I, oh, I, was, I was terrified. Um, I had to, um, obviously, I didn't have a lot of experience at the time, and people would ask me questions, and I'd be like, hmm, good question. I, I'm pleased you asked me that. Um, and the whole time I was thinking, what does that even mean? What does it mean? <laughs> but but um, I found a lot of the Italians would come to the to the courses, and they would be very much like, oh, I've been making coffee for 20 years. I'll teach you about the coffee. But really, very, very quickly understood that they didn't have an understanding of, of the coffee itself. They thought they knew what they were doing because this is what their grandfather had taught them, but there was no understanding. So uh, very quickly, I realized that it wasn't so daunting after all, that I did have more knowledge than they did. And I, I began to really enjoy it. And I enjoyed those times when someone comes along says, and saying, now I'm going to teach you. I'm like, right, I'm going to really get them. Because they just have this understanding of what they think they know without ever had any knowledge behind it, if that makes any sense. No, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. It's kind of like, um, I mean, I think it's anybody that's like in, in, any, in any culture that there's something that really identifies to their culture. So by, by blood, they must know how to do it, you know? Yeah, you know, it's the funny. Italians are very, very famous for that. And, and I think with, with coffee, like I remember a really good friend of mine from Palermo was staying with us and we were about to make him a cup of coffee and he pushed us aside. You know, we just have a little mocha. And he pushed yeah. us aside and he said, oh no, this is... I'm like Eric, I don't see fuck così, and I was like, I'm just literally putting coffee. Like, we weren't even talking about the coffee I had bought. We, it was just making the mound of coffee because he had. He's like, you had my mm -hmm. una montagna come Etna. Like, he literally told me it had to be a mountain like Etna. <laughs> yeah. And it had to. I had to like make so instead of packing it in, it had to be this thing. And I was like, and so then after that, for years after that, I think I even when I met you, I was like, well, it has to be a mountain like Etna. <laughs> like that's how you put coffee in a mocha. Well, and that's, and even that's the mocha pot. Well, they, everyone has their own different ideas as well, because every, everyone's grandmother told them something different. And obviously if the nonna says it, then it's, it's, it's religion. It's what exactly has to be right. So if you walk around, if you go around Italy today, everyone will tell you different ideas of how to make the perfect mocha. 
Um, and I did a video just recently and did that as well on, on the mock. And there's a lot of tricks and tips that a lot of Italians were like, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that. So there is, yeah, I can understand he was, he was trying to tell you what to do and probably it would have come from his grandmother and the Mount Etna exactly. idea is quite system. It's, it's, it's super charming, but it's just, it's just, it's like if I told you how to make the perfect chocolate chip cookies, because I can make <laughs> the perfect chocolate, but it's only because I told you that. Um, but you know, you brought up, you bring up a good point because their coffee culture is, you know, I think. I think everybody identifies Italy with the cappuccino and the espresso and in Italy we make the best coffee. But one of the things that I find fascinating is there, you know, there's different, it's subtly different coffee culture from the North to the South. Oh, very much. Not even so subtle really. Well, I would love you to tell us some of the differences that you've noticed. Um, well, okay, you get a lot of people come over to Italy traveling and they you talk about the Italian coffee culture when in reality, there's not an Italian coffee culture. There's many. It's, it literally is divided um, north to south, obviously, as you said, Erica, but also different regions have different Italian coffee cultures. And this is, um, this is at first because when coffee first came to Italy, um, it came into the port of Venice. And obviously coffee as a history had been around a lot, a lot longer before it came to Italy. Um, and actually, when it did come to Italy, the Italian Catholic Church wanted to ban it because really? up until then it was yeah, well, it had been it had been a drink used by the Devish dancers and the twelve dancers, and it was something which the Muslims is almost seen as to help put into a trance. So it was seen as this Muslim devil's drink. Um, so therefore, the Catholic Church wanted well, no, sorry, a lot of the people wanted to ban it. And the Pope at the time, the Pope Clementine VIII, he said, "Well, hang on, before we ban it, let me just try it." Um, and then he decided it was good enough that we should be drinking it as well. But back at the time, it came into Venice, and that was the very first port of call because you had all these spices coming through um, into Venice. And when coffee first came into, was to be imported into different places, it was coming basically into um, three main ports, being Naples, Venice, and Trieste. This is obviously going ahead quite a few years. But it was very much divided where the coffee was coming from. So the coffee which was being um, unloaded in Naples or Napoli was the coffees mainly coming from Africa and these were your Robusta coffees um, as opposed to the ones who come to the north were coming from maybe Central America South America and they were more your Arabica style coffees now for the, those who don't know I talk about Arabica and Robusta they're both two types of coffee um, and I think the easiest way to, to sort of explain it is I'm talking about fruit people don't realize that coffee is a fruit so if I was to compare maybe coffee to apples You've got so many different types of apples, the red ones, the green ones, the yellow ones, the golden delicious, the granny smiths. And of course, even though they're all apples, they have very different characteristics. So ones which might be a little more crunchier and sweeter, ones which might be a little more acidic and tart. And coffee is very much the same. So Robusta is, as a fruit, is a lot more deeper, bolder, intense flavors, more body. Whereas, whereas your Arabica coffee is a lot more delicate, a lot more sweeter, possibly more complex and more acidity. So you've got this very different, um, two different types of the coffee going to different regions of Italy straight away. So even today, the reason I started saying all that was, so the north of Italy started consuming these coffees which were a lot more delicate. They were the Arabica coffees. Mm-hmm. Naples were having these coffees coming from Africa, which were these deep, dark, rich, Robusta coffees. So of course, at that point, the people are drinking what's available um, and that becomes your norm. So even today, going forward, probably a couple hundred years, the coffees which are being drunk in the South are those coffees which are more your Robusta coffees. 
um, and they have a very, very different type of flavor. They create a different type of espresso completely. And you'll find that people in Napoli will tell you that they have the best coffee in all of Italy because of the water and all sorts of strange ideas. But it's literally yeah, a different I've heard that. type of coffee. Oh, yeah. it's, it's a different type of coffee. So if you make it as an espresso, it's going to be very thick and very rich. It's going to have this dark crema on the top. Um, and they'll tell you, there we go, another little um, fake news. They'll say that if you put <laughs> sugar on the top of an espresso, if the sugar stays on top of that crema and then slowly drops on through, then it's a good espresso. Right. When in reality, all you really need to do is have a lot of this robusta type of coffee in the blend you're using, and it's going to create more crema, and therefore the sugar will stay on top. And if I was to give you only Arabica, there would be a lot less crema and you wouldn't have the same effect when possibly that the Arabic could, could be a lot better coffee than the other one. So the, the crema is important, but it doesn't mean it's good just because the sugar stays on the top. Oh, interesting. Is, can I, can I ask you a question? Because I, you know, is, is because it was robusto, because it's robusto, um, is that why traditionally, and stop me if I'm wrong, the coffee in Napoli, you know, the preference is to have it zuccherato sugared. Yeah, not for sure. Um, okay, then you've also got a lot of the robustas. If we go back 100 years, the coffees which are coming from Africa were going to be low, low quality. And if you, once again, think about it as a fruit, so your low quality fruit is going to be a little more rotten, it's been eaten by insects, it's not going to be great. And in the world of coffee, to sort of hide, if I was to roast it quite light, all those defects would come out very strong in the cup of coffee. So if okay. you roast it darker, it'll sort of cover them quite a lot. It'll become a very... Um, a deeper, darker, richer flavor, if you like, but you won't notice all these defects. So, so roasting, again, it, roasting it darker would mean longer, lo a longer roast? Um, yes, can, can, let's get into a whole different subject. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's just say in coffee. <laughs> let's just say a darker color. Um, okay. A darker color means the coffee will be more bitter. A lighter okay. color means the coffee will be more sweeter, possibly more acidic. Okay. Um, but what would happen is because the coffee wasn't great quality, they would roast it darker. So you have this robusta coffee roasted dark and therefore you've got a very bitter cup of coffee um, so sugar is pretty much natural you have to put sugar in it's almost undrinkable without it very subjective but but if you go to Naples today you'll go into coffee shops um, not in Naples but a lot of different areas around the south where the barista will automatically put sugar into the espresso if you don't ask for it so they'll actually take the sugar, put it into the cup, yeah. the cup will go under their special machine, and you'd have it already sugared. And in fact, if you don't want it, you'd have to ask it to be non-zuccherato, so without sugar. And then and everyone looks because, at <laughs> Yeah. Well, I remember doing a show once, and a, someone came along from South, this is in the first years, and he said, oh, as he asked me, have you already put sugar in it? And I looked at him and was like, what do you mean if I already put sugar in it? I'm like, no. But then I realized later on, if you're coming from South, for them it's natural as well yeah. but also because they use those dark flavors that bitter flavor when they go to the north of italy or maybe different region where the coffee blend itself is a lot more lighter and delicate they consider it to be very wishy-washy and weak because they're used to this dark deep bold and bitter coffee and it doesn't make it better or worse it's just literally different that's all interesting very very interesting um you know it's it's so funny because yeah i've, I've always I think, and maybe, you know, my, my mom's family is from Rome and I've, and a lot of our friends are Southern. So for me, like an espresso zuccherato is like the way it should be. 
Like I, I would, and, and that's, it's again, that's like, that's why I always thought espresso was supposed to be like, it should be served already sugared um, in a, in a hot cup as well. Um, <laughs> oh gotcha. Yeah. If you go to some places that have this boiling hot cup as well in there. No, it's, it's very different um, from different regions of Italy, but it, I mean, it's not wrong to put sugar in coffee. Like a lot of people ask me, is it wrong to put sugar in coffee? And the answer to that is no, you, you drink it the way you want it. Exactly. However, what I would say is, it's wrong to put sugar in there first without trying it because ah. it's, like, it's like a chef's made you a great plate of food and you automatically, my dad would automatically take and put salt on anything without even tasting it. And maybe that plate already had too much salt in there and you just added to didn't it. Know, exa- didn't it. Exactly. No, it's exactly, you're exactly, you're absolutely right. And because there are some coffees where if you put sugar in there, it will literally ruin them. They'll be, it'll have a negative effect on it. Like in your coffees, which come from the South, that sugar will actually help to highlight in a lot of different chocolatey caramel flavors. But if I was to put sugar into maybe a different type of blend where it's all lot arabica, it's very complex and very fruity, and that sugar can almost kill this um, complex acidity that the cup can have. Is that getting too complex? I mean, for me, it is because I didn't realize a, a cup of coffee was that deep, but I, you know, <laughs> but I, but I actually, I, I think this is one of the amazing things about talking to you is that like, you know, you, you, you know, so much and there's such a, not just a culture behind coffee, because I think there, there's just a, almost, I guess I would call it a science behind coffee that I took for granted. Sure. So that's like, you know, one of the things that really impressed me when I was talking to you the first time, um, you were, we were at the machines, the, the machines that they have in, in bars. So yep. you were in front of all those different machines and you were talking about how there are all these different types of machines. And then you started talking about the temperatures. And I was like, what is that? He's crazy. I'm like, he's New Zealand. <laughs> so he is, I, was, I literally said to myself, he doesn't know what he's talking about. because he's from New Zealand. And, 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 then, and then you explained that, you know, it, you know, how, I, I mean, I, you can explain it. I cannot, but I believe it was like, depending on the type of coffee and what you're serving, the temperature changes. And that's something that you said a lot that that's part of what you were doing consulting on is you would go into these bars and they wouldn't even know how to use these incredible, you know, 30, 40,000 euro machines. Oh, you've got the, that, obviously that's changed a lot over the last few years. Technology's played a big part. Um, if you look at the very first espresso machines, the idea was that hot water would have to flow through your coffee. Um, actually, if you compare it to your filter coffee that you normally make, your hot water sort of drops above it and it just falls through because of gravity. An espresso machine that's actually been pushed through with pressure. So the very first machines, you had hot water and it'd be forced through. Now, like you said, you've got machines which is just <laughs> very, very complex and you can control minutely the temperature, the pressure, things like pre-infusion. And there's a whole new world of complexity which has been added to the coffee. But then sometimes you get to the point where these fantastic machines are being put in the hands of baristas who don't understand the complexity and it becomes almost superfluous. It's like giving a, know, a Ferrari to your mother to go and do the shopping. It's just, you're knocking out a second gear. And there well, are some incredible machines. I mean, I mean, when I, when the ones that I saw with you, I was just, I mean, they were like Ferraris. They were incredible and beautiful and some looked vintage and some were like super, super high tech. Um, you know, I, I quickly, because the machine, you know, I, I love talking about the machines, but I'm, I, you know, I just want to quickly look back and ask you a question about the coffee culture in Trieste. Um, yep. So, you know, I, I know a lot of the coffee culture, you know, in Italy, we, we, a lot of times people 
the, the kind of knee-jerk reaction is coffee culture is you go into a bar, you stand up. It's stand-up bar. And that's what it is in Rome. And that's pretty much what it is in Naples. Um, whereas you said something really interesting was, you know, in Venice where coffee arrived, Venice is known for having those three or four historic 300-year-old cafes. And yeah, they were salons. Ones in Italy. And yeah. they're they beautiful. And I, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of visiting them just because I, I love... I love the history behind them. I love the way they look. I love the whole concept of I am at a 300 year old coffee shop having a coffee, even I don't care what it costs, uh, even though it does, it does get a little expensive. <laughs> exactly. But you know, in, in the idea of a, what, what, you know, what a coffee boutique or a coffee shop was back 300 years ago. It's, it's to me, it's, it's a beautiful analog moment in history that I, that I love. And I'm curious, um, because I and I also know that in in Torino I've seen some beautiful coffee shops that somewhat remind me of Venice. What's it like in Trieste? Because I've never um, been there. Well, you've got to remember that when coffee was first introduced into Italy, it was very much a rich man's trick. It wasn't for the the common people. It was for the the rich, the poets, the the royal family. In fact, for that reason that coffee went from there straight to Torino because it's where the Savona family was at the time as well, the Tirol family. So it was very much linked to this posh society. So the coffee shops when they developed, they were beautiful. They were, all, you know, all the machines were, had to be very ornamental. There was like a centerpiece to this, this culture of coffee, which was flamboyant. So therefore, like you said before, when you go into La Florienne in um, Venezia, it's beautiful. Um, and that's because that's the clientele who were drinking coffee at the time. And then for, it did change, obviously, coming down, it became sort of more a common man's drink um, in the early 1900s when the whole coffee coffee changed and the espresso machines came about. But um, everywhere, everywhere around Italy, the Italians will stand at a bar. Um, you have to, <laughs> and you'll be shoulder to shoulder and you have to punch your way through. And of course, Italians don't know how to line up. So you sort of have to yell and make yourself heard. Um, and that's also, I suppose, the, the beautiful part of Italian coffee culture that I think people come to Italy to be part of because there's nowhere else in the world. And I don't know if that's quite true, but I hesitate to say it is. There's nowhere else in the world where everyone will stand at a bar and have their espresso. And I've done a lot of openings with Italy um, in Chicago and New York and different places around the world. And you always know the Italians because they're the ones who walk up and stand at the bar. Whereas all the rest of the world doesn't have that whole concept of I drink a coffee standing up. And I suppose the idea is you can sort of see what the buddies is doing and you can control them and you can make sure your coffee's looking good. But also because your coffee should be drank not when it's too, well, before it gets cold, which is another reason why in restaurants often we don't drink a great espresso because it takes so long to get from machine to, to in front of you as a customer. And I think, you know, one of the things, it's funny that you would say that, one of the things I've noticed, um, restaurants, but also in hotels, if you, I've noticed hotels, even in Italy, have a really hard time making a good coffee. Oftentimes it comes and it's served burnt. Like you'll have a cappuccino that's burnt and, and it's like, I, I'm still trying to figure out, but I, I, I'm assuming they don't know how to use their machines or... They don't There's have a bit machines. of everything. When you asked about the machines before, the espresso machine, but actually the machine, which is probably even more important, is the grinder. Uh, the uh. way that coffee has <laughs> been transferred from beans to your... And to you know why I'm laughing, because I, I called you the other day saying, well, what do I do? Yeah, tell me a little bit about the grinder. Why, um, is, that, why is that so important? Because uh, this is where coffee gets complex when we talk about training. As a, the baristas have to make sure that the grinder is set just right. Um, and what that means is that the, as the coffee beans are being ground, that the, the actual particle size is not too small or not too large. Um, and what would happen if, if your 
coffee is ground too coarse, the water is able to flow through very quickly. There's less resistance. So the water flows through very quickly. And this is true for if you make an American coffee as well, the filter coffee. If it's too coarse, the water will flow through and the water won't have time to absorb flavor from your ground coffee. So therefore, you have, an, you have a cup of coffee which is very watery, very weak. However, at the same time, if your ground coffee is too fine, and once again, this is also true for making a filter coffee, the water is not able to flow through, and therefore it sort of sits and it becomes muddy. And when it does drop below, it's, it's had too much flavor. So you have something which is a very muddled, very um, uh, overbalanced, it's called overextracted, but not a very balanced cup of coffee as well. So the grinder... For the barista, he, that means that he needs to make sure it's just right. Um, and for an espresso, it's more precise again. Uh, for a filter coffee, you can sort of get away with it. It's not perfect. But for an espresso, the difference between the water flowing through in 15 seconds or the water flowing through in 20 seconds is a diff completely different cup of coffee, a completely different cup of espresso. So the barista needs to make sure that it's always perfect. Now, the part that makes it frustrating or exciting, depending on your point of view, that the coffee actually changes. Now, you don't realize it, but your coffee breathes, if you like. The roasted coffee will absorb humidity or release humidity, depending on what the, what the values are outside. Um, it will also absorb aroma as well. So what will happen is if it's very humid, that your coffee beans will actually absorb humidity. And it means that as it passes through your grinder, it will actually fragment differently. So you wouldn't have the same particle size. And that means that the barista would have to adjust the grinder to bring it back to what he wanted. How's that? Is that confusing? That's, I mean, that's, that's really, really, really complex and really interesting. It, you know, it, okay. I, I mean, that, and then the, you have, the, some coffees are more difficult to look after than others as well. If you have your booster coffees, it's a little more forgiving and other coffees are a little more difficult. And that's the true, when you talk about a good barista and a bad barista, um, of course, it's your coffee knowledge, but actually, no, the most important thing, the most important difference between a good barista and bad barista is that a good barista will look after his clients. No matter what you're doing, the clients are always first, making sure they're happy. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes the value of a smile is more important than the value of a good cup of coffee or a drink. But beyond that, the good barista will actually understand everything that he's doing with his grinder, with a water temperature and all those little annoyances, which will make the difference between that perfect cup of coffee as much as possible. I wouldn't say always because it doesn't matter how good you are, the coffee actually changes and you can't make it perfect always. But as good as possible, as often as possible. How, uh, how, how easy is it or how, how is it, does it take a lot to or say I'm a barista, I'm a barista, I'm not, I'm just doing what I normally do is I'm just putting the, I was, I just signed up. I got, I like been working at this beautiful little cafe for a while, but I'm, I'm just doing what I think you're supposed to do. Put the coffee in the thing and make the coffee, make an espresso, yeah. make a macchiato. Um, you come in as this consultant, how, how long would it take some, I guess it depends on, on how open-minded the person is to really, to really understand or. It does, but I think if I'm doing my job well, I wouldn't go in and just teach people because mm -hmm. it, it doesn't, it doesn't get the message across. If I'm doing my job well, I'll go in and I'll make that new barista realize that their job's really interesting. There's so much there is to learn. So they'll come away going, ah, oh, that was fantastic. Like you said, when you came in and I was just waffling all sorts of different things to you, but you were like, wow, I never realized there was so much about it. And if I can make it interesting for that barista, then all of a sudden their job becomes much, much better, more exciting to them as well. So that, and, you know, I could talk coffee for 
one hour or, or a week. But if I give too much information and too little time as well, it becomes an overload. So that's not good. So it's enough to make information to realize that there's so much to learn, but also for them to realize that you know, they've, they've actually learned something important in that short time they had at first. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. After I met you, what I will say is I started looking at my baristas differently and, and looking at how, what, what's kind of going on behind the scenes and how, and what they're, you know, how, how they're paying attention to what they're doing. And because before, you know, I, I would get, you know, a macchiato and that was, you know, I get my macchiato and I sip it really quickly and that was it. And I never really, I mean, I, I love looking at the machine cause the machine is really pretty, but I never really looked at the story that's going on in that exact well, There's a lot of telltale signs that even as a customer, you can see if they're doing a good job or not. You know, the first thing I would, the first thing I'll do in a walk into any place is I'll look at the grinder. And if I see that the hopper, so the transparent part on top of the grinder, which holds the ground coffee, uh, the, sorry, the coffee beans, mm -hmm. if that's dirty, if it's been covered in oil, because your coffee releases oil. Um, so this coffee's releasing oil and if that oil then stays on the hopper for a long time. That'll become rancid and brown and oxidized. Mm. And if you see that in a coffee shop, already for me, that's like a big no-no. And then I'll look at the, the state of the machine. The machine needs to be clean. I mean, you're a chef making, making something special for your customers. And there's no chef in the world who's going to be using dirty pots and pans. He has to make sure that this kitchen is immaculate, his equipment is clean. And as a barista, it's the same. If, you, if I walk in and I see a machine where there's um, a lollipop of, of, of gorgonzola cheese around the steam wand, then there's no way I'm going to be ordering a macchiato because that steam wand hasn't been cleaned for who knows how long. <laughs> and there's so much bacteria and all, things moving on the end of it. Um, and there's many parts of the machine which needs to be cleaned. So if I, I'll, my daughters play volleyball and often will drop the girls off at the game and all the parents will go to a bar for a cup of coffee. And as we walk in, they all sort of look at me as if to see if yeah. I'm going to order coffee. But I walk in, I look at the machine, I go, they all look, and I give a little shake of the head, and everyone's like, no, no, water, beer, fruit juice. <laughs> that must be a lot of fun, actually. Um, yeah, but they hate me as well, because I, can get, I have to hold myself back sometimes, of course. Um, the thing is, when you, when you do know good coffee, you know bad coffee, you, you have to be patient sometimes. But there are times I just won't order it. And it's easier. Um, and then there's times when I do order, and it's oh great, macchiato, espresso, double. So of course they all ask for something different because that's what Italians do. Well, you know what? Actually, um, that's that's a great point. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, I think a lot of people when they come to Italy, they they get the cappuccino at the bar, and they drink it too long. Please, everybody, don't stand at a bar and drink cappuccino too long because then I can't get to my bar. <laughs> um, and then they and or never they, after lunch, of course, because they're uh, yeah. really in trouble. Well, that's, that's yes. Or, but you can have the macchiato, which just has a little bit, but I want you know, one of the things I think, you know, I, I've, I'm a big, um, I feel like I'm a promoter of the shakarato or the shakarato, however you want to pronounce it. Um, and I love telling, I love sharing the different, the outside of the realm of macchiato, espresso and cappuccino, because I think a lot of people come to Italy, especially when you come in the summertime and you get the cappuccino. I'm like, no, don't do it. It's too hot. Um, I'd love for you to share some some of the more uncommon but but Italian coffee drinks. Okay, this is good. This goes back to you asking before about the different regions of Italy. So a lot of them will all have a different, like you say, coffee drink. Um, across the board, you've always got your espresso, your macchiato, your cappuccino, um, latte macchiato, which now has pretty much been abbreviated around the world to latte. Um, so a latte macchiato would be your glass of foamed milk with your espresso which has been marked onto the milk 
with the word macchiato means marked. Um, but a, you get around the world, no one ever says latte macchiato, they just say latte. So your baristas in everywhere except Italy will know that a latte is latte with espresso. If, and this happens always, when people come to Italy and they think, I'm going to ask for a latte, and they walk up to the bar and ask for a latte, and then they get given a glass of milk. Cold milk. <laughs> because you're literally asking for a glass of milk when you ask for a latte. But but that's all, that's everywhere in Italy as well. Your cafe chocolato has been is an espresso, um, which is then put into a shake with ice, shaken. So the word chocolato means shaken. Often you may add or sugar syrup, or it gets better when you add things like amaretto, Bailey's, um, um, from the word of English, hazelnut syrup and things like that. So you can you can be having a lot of different flavors added to it, which is quite unusual because Italians are very purist in their coffee drinking. But when it comes to chocolato, you're allowed to add things to it there. And you get this, if the barista does it well, you get this beautiful foam on the top of your cold iced coffee as well. Now in America right now, you've, a lot of people have what's called cold brew. Um, the difference between a cold brew and a chicarato, your cold brew has actually been um, made cold from the very beginning. So the water was cold water in the very beginning, and it takes maybe up to 20 hours. But when you use a chicarato, you're ah. making a hot coffee and turning it cold. So it's very, it actually will extract different flavors. But the idea is your chicarato will be, and I prefer a double espresso, put onto ice and shaken until you and get this much, beautiful yeah. foam. In fact, you have a great video that I saw you doing that, and I and I believe that I've done that. I, I have made my chakarato a la Damien. Oh, really? That, yes. that, that video is well old. I've got no great idea. I, I, <laughs> I, I found it on YouTube. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I, I quick question because I know, like, so when I was the other day, I was at another coffee shop, one of my favorite coffee shops in Rome, and it's a Neapolitan coffee shop, and they were like, "Oh no, now we have this new summer drink called the Romeo, Romeo and Giulietta." And it's essentially the cold version of what they call a monachella, which is it's cold coffee or cold espresso. And then they put chocolate syrup and then they put, um, no, they put, it's, it's crema di cafe, sorry. Crema di cafe. Yeah. Yeah. Or almost like a mousse di cafe. And then um, which this, chocolate syrup. Thing which doesn't really exist out of Italy. They've tried to do it in different places, but this crema di cafe doesn't, hasn't caught on anywhere else. I know. Actually, You've Can you tell everybody well, what the Crema di Cafe is? It's, um, it's uh, you said a mousse. It's like a soft serve ice cream. It's like a cold yogurt. How do you, I don't know, it's, it's strange. It, and it's mainly just, as a barista, you just add milk, mix, mix it up, and then pour it into your granita machine. So it's a soft serve ice cream. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, <laughs> soft serve coffee, is, coffee and, ice cream. <laughs> yeah, soft serve coffee ice cream. That's what it is. But if you look at all of the coffee drinks in Italy, the portions are small. You don't have a grande, you don't have a no. half a liter of coffee, um, but the flavors are very, okay, this is where Italians are very good. They understand flavor. They understand this balance of flavor. So when you have, for example, in Piemonte, where I am, a drink which is called a bicerin. Um, a bicerin in dialect literally means little cup. So you've got a glass which is, about 150 mil, so therefore about half the size of a cappuccino, a single serve normal cappuccino. And it'll have this very dark, rich chocolate on the bottom, liquid chocolate, often with hazelnut, because the area of Piemonte is very famous for hazelnuts as well, which is where um, Nutella comes from. 
Then you have espresso, and then you have this layer of thick, um, sweet cream on the top as well. And there's a lot of different variations. And it's always a glass cup, right? It's always glass. You can still see these three layers, yeah, because it's very, very visual, very Instagrammable. <laughs> but because you have this rich, dark uh, chocolate, and espresso can only really be 25 mils, and then this layer of the cream, you're talking about a very small portion, but it's a portion of intense flavors. Now you can't transform that into a half a liter of coffee that you'd have in America. It just doesn't work. You can't do it. And a lot of the drinks around Italy are very much like that. You said the Romeo and Giulietta. For sure, it's probably the same sort of size. A hundred mils would yeah, be. Yeah, it's it's tiny. It's yeah. like it's it, they they put it in. Um, they actually don't do it in vetro, which I was really surprised because it'd be nice to see. They did it in. Um, I don't think they did it in vetro. Now I think I thought they did it in a in a in a in an espresso cup, but the taller one. Yep. Um, quick question, because I know a few years back I saw an article in probably like the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal about third wave coffee, maybe in Trieste as well. Yeah. Um, can you? That's one. That's an area you know, and maybe because I I do become like a coffee purist, and I automatically turn off like when I hear the word cold brew or the nitrogen thing or um, mm -hmm. third wave. Could you tell me a little bit about that and what's happening in Italy? Um. Put into focus, coffee itself, okay, once again, it's a fruit, so therefore it grows in plantations and it comes from a lot of different places around the world. Um, but a lot of the places where coffee comes from are obviously your poorer countries and the actual farmers themselves maybe don't have a great understanding of, of farming in terms of the complexity of what it can be. So if I was to import coffee from many countries 100 years ago, the plants would grow, the farmer would pick it, and that's as good as it really got. They'd have to transform it into these beans and let it to dry. But if I actually go down the track to in the recent years, there's been a lot of focus and a lot of research into the farming of coffee to actually bring up the quality of the beans which they're growing. So you've got these plantations which are growing coffee cherries where the quality is a lot more than what it used to be. And by that, I mean that you can have a lot more complex flavors coming out of your coffee that once upon a time weren't there. Um, if I don't have the beans which are rotting, if I don't have insects eating it, if I don't have different diseases on my plant, my fruit is going to taste better. So this is the whole idea of this, you said third wave coffee, um, but there's definitely specialty coffees. There's coffees out there which are amazing now and it would be a shame to mix them with milk and be sure that you should be more purist in it because the mm. if i compare it to the wine here we go this is probably even better wine and coffee very very similar they both come from fruit it's transformed into a drink um the wine can be made from a lot of different grapes whether you're nebbiol or your cabernet your molo and of course they all have different flavors the one that you like is the best one for you but it doesn't make necessarily mean it's the better wine either you can have a two dollar bottle of wine which you prefer to a hundred dollar bottle of wine so coffee is very much the same all of a sudden there's this world of the farmers are paying a lot more attention to the coffee they're growing maybe even only one area of the plantation to grow something a lot special which in return means that they can sell that coffee for a higher profit because if the honest the, the honest truth of the world behind coffee that the people who actually put in most of the work are the people making the least amount of money. Mm -hmm. um, and now they're actually able to grow coffee where rather than selling it for maybe $2 a kilo, they're even able to sell it for $200 a kilo. So this is this whole idea of, you say third world, it's a lot more artisanal, it's a lot more high quality, and there are coffees out there which are incredible. But if you're in Naples and you're used to drinking dark, darkly roasted Robusta, 
you'd never appreciate it because it's just such a different realm of flavors that you're not used to as well. Now, I know I, I really quickly said in the very beginning that you're the founder of three coffee guys, and this ties in yeah. directly to what you just talked about. Um, so I'd love for you to tell everybody what three guy, coffee guys is. And I know you're one of three because it says so in your, yeah, it says, it away. says in your bio. And I, and I thought that was really clever. I was like, Oh, really? <laughs> but, um, I, you know, I, I think talking about the complexities of coffee growing and the, the you know, revaluing coffee ties directly into what you're doing with three coffee guys. So would you share what that is? Um, well, as, the world, there's actually a big community of coffee people all around the world. So there's a lot of trade shows, of course, and different events we'll go to. And you're often meeting up with the same people. Um, so there's a lot of different friends in the world of coffee. Now, we also, as a trainer, a lot of time people who become interested in coffee and want to learn more have said to me in the past, oh, I'd love to go visit a plantation. I'd love to see. Because if, if you're going to be a sommelier, you're never going to be a sommelier of wine without actually visiting a vineyard and seeing how wine is created. So in the world of coffee, it's very much the same. People want to see that world behind every cup of coffee. So there was myself and two other coffee guys, uh, Patrick O'Malley, who's from Arizona in America, and Ricardo Viegas, who's from Colombia. And the three of us got together and said, well, listen, why don't we organize and bring some people to see a plantation and show them what it's all about? So Ricardo being from Bogota in Colombia, he was able to organize everything on his side. Patrick and I basically just got a few people who are interested together, and this was uh, in 2017, and just took a few coffee lovers, baristas, and a few people, About I think it was about 20 of us in total, to go and visit a plantation. Um, and plantations are, if you go to the countries of origin, the plantations are a wonderful area where tourists don't go. So you're not visiting tourist sites. You're very much in the countryside. You're visiting the real Colombia, the real Ethiopia, or wherever you might be going. Um, and you, you get a whole feel of what, not only, not only what coffee is all about, but the people behind coffee. And it makes you realize that it's, it's a very much a people trade. There's only over 200 million people in the world who work somehow connected with the industry of coffee. Um, and a lot of those are people in the farms. A lot of the people who grow coffee are small family farmers, then, of course, you can go to Brazil and you have this huge commercial trade as well. But it's a world which is interesting and hardship, and there's a lot behind it. So we, we organized three coffee guys to we organized three coffee guys to bring people to see this reality as well. So we started off with Colombia. We then took people to Honduras. Last year, we took people to Ethiopia, which was incredible. Incredible because there's the whole coffee side as well. But then it's just such an incredible place to visit in terms of humanic side. We've been, all of us, there's 25 of us, and all of us at one time or the other had a tear in our eye just on the emotion of, you've seen these people who really don't have very much. They literally live in mud huts, and yet they invite us into their homes and give them, give us what they had as well. And they're the happiest people I've ever seen. They're working all the time. The ladies would be working in the plantation. So there's a lot of different, phases which go through the coffee it has to be harvested of course so which literally means that ladies have to walk into the plantation with a basket in their hand and cherry by cherry pick them off the plant but then before these cherries are exported the country they need to be able to remove the outer skin being a fruit you have to take away the skin the pulp it has to be dried to the point you actually get these dry coffee beans 
and there's a lot of different processes we can be doing there. And now the world of specialty coffee, people are playing with different types of fermentation and different processes, and this enhances different flavors. And all these ladies will be um, in what's called the drying bed. So the coffee needs to stay under the sun to dry anywhere up from a day to even 20 days, depending on the different uh, methods you can use. And these ladies are just singing and dancing and chatting away the whole day long as they work. And they were there from as soon as we woke up in the morning until when we left them at nighttime, they would just be there working. Um, and it just makes you appreciate that behind every cup of coffee, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of emotion, there's a lot of work that goes into it. That's a, that's a beautiful way to describe it. Um, what, I'm curious, you mentioned something earlier, and I think you just mentioned this as well now. Um, I think you did. The SCA and par, are part of, aside from coffee education and understanding coffee culture, is there also a technical aspect to what Three Guys is doing as like for, for training or that cupping? There's that, was it, is it like a cup? Uh, yeah. Yep, yep, cupping, cupping. So the idea was if we were taking people to a plantation, um, we wanted to be able to give more than just showing them how a coffee plantation works. So we're actually doing a lot of training as well. So you mentioned the SCA, which is called the Specialty Coffee Association. Um, and when I first started on coffee, I said before that this is when this whole training thing was coming about, that actually created a system where you could follow different courses. Um, mm -hmm. And now this has evolved to a point where there are different sub it's almost like a university degree if you like you can follow different subjects so they're divided into the world of green coffee so people can really understand the green coffee the different types of varieties the markets you can understand the world of sensory skills so this is where you said cupping where you can actually mm. taste your different coffees um, and understand the complexity of each cup so i'd compare that so i suppose to some year of of coffee if you like um, and the very first level, you sort of taste an Arabic and taste an Robusta and understand the differences. And as you progress all the way through, you become a Q grader to really be an expert in the world of, of cupping coffee, of tasting coffee. You can learn how to roast coffee. Um, from the very beginning, it's very simple. You take green beans, you put it into the roast machine, it spins around for a while and comes out. And then you get into the very complexity of realizing there's a whole lot of different reactions and, and temperatures and, and things that can happen to change the flavors of your, of your roast, depending on your roast profile. There's a world of barista skills. So as a barista, learning all the complexity of your machine, your grinder, how to make the great cup of coffee, even if you like latte art. So learning how to do pretty pictures on your cappuccino. And brewing. So the last one is also learning how to make everything that's not an espresso. So your mocha pots, your, your V60s, your Chemexes. In fact, yesterday I did a video, I posted a video of what's called a fin filter. I don't know if you saw that. Um, on, on Instagram, on IGTV? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, that's, uh, I, I wanted to let everybody know. Damien, can you tell everybody your Instagram profile? I'm Damien, D-A-M-I-A-N, coffee guy. And he's got a whole series of videos. So you were also saying that you have um, how to make the best mocha, right? Yep, that's on the YouTube channel. Uh, that, that started years and years ago. So I think the over the last few months, it's been fun just to make these videos at home. So the last one, a thin filter, which is something which is a little contraction which comes from Vietnam. Mm -hmm. uh, because a lot of people, you look today, that if you're into coffee on the internet, there's a lot of people showing you how to make a Chemex and a V60, which yeah. are probably the more the nor more normal ones you might see. So I thought I was going to do something a little different. So I, I pulled out a thin filter 
and did a video on that. My is that an out of an out of norm coffee brewing guide? Is that what it is? Yeah, because it's just a little unusual. You know, there's okay, people cool. know the normal one, so I thought I'd do something a little bit different. And then I grabbed my daughters and made them part of the video, which is fun. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna show it to my girls. Yeah. Because maybe they'll, they'll actually want to do something with us. At some, <laughs> they they re, they refuse to be in the videos unless it's about them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I see you have. I see. You. Yeah. Sorry, carry on. No, carry on. No, go ahead. I said there's a little scene at the end where they didn't realize I was filming them and they started arguing and screaming over who got to drink the cup of coffee I made. And they were saying, I'm the star of the show. No, I'm the star of the show. <laughs> okay, that I definitely have to show to them because my <laughs> girls will love that. Out of curiosity, do they, uh, do they drink coffee? Like, yes. They're, they're like 15 and 17, right? Yeah, they do. In fact, um, uh, at the moment, we're still going through quarantine over here. So... It's been all at home and they'd be asking me for a cup of coffee in the morning. I get little messages saying, Daddy, bring me coffee. And every one of them, my wife or two daughters, has a different request. So my my wife wants her espresso. That's easy enough to make the espresso in the morning. And the daughters have become, they want to try different things as well. So the whole, I don't want to use the word Starbucks, but this whole idea of doing caramel lattes and things is only just, 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 just starting to come into Italy. They don't really exist. As I said before, coffee is very purist, especially on cappuccino. But now the younger generation want to try your caramel lattes, your vanilla things, which I've actually had fun introducing it to them to see what their reactions are because it doesn't exist in Italy, but there's also a new market for different types of coffees, which I think we'll, we'll start to see come about as well. So, yeah, we're making coffee for them pretty much every morning. I'm going to ask a question that I think polarizes a lot of people that live in Italy, depending on who you are, where you come from. Uh, and I'd love your opinion. Um, you know, there, there. Starbucks has the the roasteria or the the roastery roastery in Milan. Yeah, in Milan. And um, you know, it's it's a beautiful space. It is it definitely is amazing. Yeah, and it, but it's definitely it is not the typical Italian coffee bar. It's not even it's not the typical Starbucks either. Um, no. And when when they open that and then they put the news out there that I think more regular Starbucks will, or the, the, there is going to be the arrival of regular Starbucks in Italy. There was uh, like a lot of people were really angry and I'm not going to say a lot of them are Italian because, you know, we have a high school aged daughter who is completely, everything she does is Italian. Her life is Italian. Um, she is Italian and her and her friends were really happy yeah. to hear that, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't that it was taking away from their Italian identity. Um, they just thought it was cool. <laughs> and I wanted to know, uh, you know, like, do you, but I, but I think a lot of the fear from cert, from certain people was that if Starbucks arrives, it's going to make the Italian coffee bar go extinct. And I'd love to know what your thought is on that. I'm happy that Starbucks came to Italy. I think not that's going to make the Italian coffee bars extinct, but maybe show us a little change because like we said before coffee in italy is espresso and cappuccino and that's pretty much it or mocha if you're at home but there's so much more to coffee um when i was talking about the specialty coffee when i was talking about this amazing work that's going into the plantations it's never going to be appreciated in a classic coffee shop in italy because it's very very different to what they're used to so having something like starbucks coming in they're actually introducing more innovative ways of drinking coffee and that's only a good thing it can help to open up the mentality a little bit it can help the market to introduce different things and as much as i was talking about i said a caramel ice latte and things 
if the coffee shops can start to introduce more drinks to accommodate for the younger generation, then all they're doing is helping the businesses to run better. There's, if you actually look back maybe 20 years ago, your coffee shops initially would sell only coffee. You would literally have a cafeteria and that would be it. But even today as a business, it's very difficult for them to work only on coffee. You, apart from brioches and things as well. But now they'll have lunch, they'll have to do a yeah. in the evening. They're extending the business hours just to try and turn over money because it's not the same business it was once upon a time. So this new innovation, this new things coming into the country is only really helping the coffee culture to develop and grow. We don't need to be always set in our ways. This is how grandma did it, so this is the way it is. Sometimes new can be a good thing. And you know, as well as I do, Italians don't do change very well at all. It's, it's, it's very difficult for them. But the new generation are much more open-minded to it. So I think that it'll actually help to, to develop, not to close down or change, but develop the coffee industry in Italy, make it a little bit more. And you, the, the coffee culture of the espresso at the bar should be and will always be there because it's very, we're very set as Italians in our ways and that's how it should be drunk. But let's open up to the younger generation. Let them enjoy um, new things as well because they're more open to it. I agree. I agree. And I think, you know what, I, I always tell people that get really upset about that, that, you know, the, the bar culture will always be there because it's the kind of thing that is, is part of Italian culture. So this mm -hmm. can only just op open up another dimension. And, you know, you're absolutely right. Also, one of the things I, I interviewed this, I was – I just decided to interview a bunch of kids when, when Starbucks opened here, just okay. to say like, what did you, what did you feel? And this one girl said to me, she, she was traveling. She actually traveled from Rome to go to the Starbucks to Milan. And I was like, okay, wow. that is intense. And she said, yeah, you know, but she's like, because this, and actually, sorry, it was, sorry, it was her. And actually the taxi driver, the taxi driver, I asked a taxi driver the same thing. And she, they both said the same answer. They said, you know, this, you know, this, this reminds us that we have the world open to us, that we have hope. And I was like, it, that a coffee shop does that. And they're like, yeah, you know, because seeing this, you know, it doesn't mean that we're not Italian. It doesn't change anything for us, but it reminds us that we can do things that we normally can't do. And I was like, that is an incredible answer. <laughs> um, Damien, I'm so happy I had the chance to speak to you. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me. I'm really looking forward to hopefully the next time I want to, I want to, um, the next time I see you in person, I, I would like to do what your daughter's doing. <laughs> Thank you. And ask you to make me a bunch of different kinds of coffee drinks. Um, but suffice to, to be able to do it. Well, you know, it's, it was, again, like I said, it was like, it was so cool. It was such an eye opener and it's really nice to, to, for me to see behind behind the bar, what really you know more than what I see, and actually it sounds like with three three coffee guys, it seems like that, like what you said. What it you're seeing what goes into a coffee cup is a whole world. And well, yeah, when you came along and did that, that was that's what I enjoyed most about what I do. It's just opening the eyes to people who think they you know, coffee's coffee and just showing them so much more and watching these people get excited. It's it's great fun. That's the most exciting part of my job. Well, you definitely do a great job. Thank you so much. Now, I just want to tell everybody, so Damien is Damien Coffee Guy on Instagram. Um, yeah. And Three Coffee Guys is the number three coffeeguys.com, correct? That, that's right. And we have, the idea is each year we run, uh, we're aiming for maybe three coffee trips a year, so to different places. So the idea for this year was Colombia, um, Colombia, Brazil, and Asia somewhere. At the moment, obviously, things are a little bit on hold. But going towards the future, the idea is different types of trips as well. And 
maybe some of them which will be only for roasters, but even for coffee lovers, because there's a lot of beautiful areas to visit. So the idea is even to make it like a almost a luxury trip as well. There's a lot of coffee plantations who are starting to open up for tourism. So you have these almost five-star resorts within the within the coffee industry starting to come through. So in the future, we want to actually bring people to those places as well. Well, I, you know, just what I, when you were talking about Ethiopia, I decided since I am sitting in front of my computer, I did look at the pictures as you were talking about it um, from your site. And I was like, I will be going on that trip. It looked incredible. That was incredible. We had a lady um, who came along with us. She's what's about 45, early 50s. Um, and she had, for her, it was actually rough. You've got to realize you, you're not living, I talk about five star resorts, but the reality is most of the time, 99% of the time, you're almost sleeping in, in bungalow conditions. And it's, it's, not a, it's not a trip, it's not a holiday, it's hard work. And this lady found, at times, she found it very difficult, but now she talks about it like the most amazing experience she's ever been on. So you have to realize you're in for a bit of a hard time. Hot water is a luxury, you won't get most of the time. And food, you just eat whatever's there, and you have to be very adventurous. But that's a great part about it. It sounds incredible. Thank you, Damien. Um, I really can't wait to see you in person and looking forward to seeing more of what you do. Thank you very much, Eric. It's great talking with you. Great talking with you, too. Ciao, tutti. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Ciao, Bella. If you'd like to know more about today's guest, please visit ciaobella.co and click on the podcast link or go directly to ciaobella.co backslash podcast. Want more Italy? You can find all my episodes on iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher. When you have time, subscribe to iTunes and rate the podcast. What are you waiting for? And if you want to be part of the podcast, email me or DM me your Italy questions. To learn more about me and my work, go to my website, ericafirpo.com, and follow my Italy adventures on Instagram at ericafirpo. Ciao, Bella! And a very big thank you and hug to Massimiliano Yonta and Disc to Disc Studios, the producers of Ciao, Bella, who continue to make me sound and feel great.